following is a presentation of Artisan Church in Rochester, New York. Hello, Artisan family. Uh, this is Pastor Scott Austin. Uh, thanks for downloading the podcast and listening to the audio today. I wanted to give you a heads up before we start this one because uh, it was the second Sunday of the month, and on the second Sundays of the month, we have a meditative prayer right before the sermon. And this particular one was led by Jolene Walter, and it fits so well with what I had prepared to speak about that I had to include it in the podcast this week. Uh, We didn't plan this. It just happened. Serendipity. It was great. Uh, So uh, that comes before the sermon, and uh, it's the kind of thing that probably would work best if you have uh, some time and space to sit down and really enjoy Or maybe it's the kind of thing that you'd like to come back to later when the time is right. Thanks again for downloading the Artisan Church podcast. I hope it is a blessing to you. Good morning. I got to be out all day yesterday on Canandaigua Lake, literally from sunrise till sundown. Um, And I had the pleasure of witnessing a 50-mile race, running race. Um, And I still am just humbled and in awe of what the human body and the human mind is capable of doing. Um, There are about 60 runners, uh, all ages, shapes, and sizes. The youngest ones must have been mid-20s, and the oldest one, I think, was about 70. And he was pretty much just walking the whole thing. But um, it was amazing. I mean, I, I don't think I could ever do anything like that. Um, but you think about it, it's really... Um, it's more than just physical. And I was talking to one of the runners about it, asking, you know, how do you do this? (laughs) Like, what is the secret to to doing this? And, um, of course, there's some training that goes into it. You know, you have to practice running long distances. But um, I was part of a support team for a couple of runners, and neither of them had actually ever run the the 50, right? So this was going to be the first time, even in all their training, that they had run 50 miles in a row. So I was asking somebody about it, and one one of them just told me... um, that, you know, sometimes it really came down for miles at a time, stretches at a time, it came down to one mantra that they had to say to themselves in their head. And this was their mantra. Left, right, left, right, left, right. I mean, literally, he said that was the only thing that could help keep his mind off of the pain, off of the struggle, um, to keep himself from backing out. And, I mean, that really is what it is sometimes in running and in a lot of things, that it's a mind game. It's about all you can do. You can't do those five miles that are ahead. You really just have your two feet right now on the ground in front of you, left, right, left, right. Um, So today for our meditative prayer, we're going to not run, I promise. I'm not going (laughs) to send you out. But we're going to just pare it down to the most simple thing that we can do in the moment, and that is to breathe. So I will invite you now to find a posture that's comfortable for you to be sitting in for a few minutes. Um, You might bow your head, you might open your hands, but I would recommend, if you feel comfortable, to close your eyes.
and block out a lot of the visuals that are around. And to start with, just notice your breath. Don't try to change it. But I bet most of you, in the hours you've been awake so far, haven't even really noticed it. Pay attention to the way it feels coming through your nostrils, down your throat, expanding your chest. And then how it feels on the way out. Something so simple that we do every day without thinking. Sometimes in life it is just one foot in front of the other. And we just have to tell ourselves, this is where I am right now. This is all I can do. This is what I have control over. When it might feel like everything is out of control. But we do have control over our breath. So now try to breathe a little more intentionally. Try to control something about the way your breath is moving. Maybe you make your inhales longer, deeper. Maybe you pause and hold it for a moment before you exhale. Where are you putting one foot in front of the other right now in your life? And that's all you might be able to do. With each breath, each inhale and exhale, ask Christ to carry some of the weight. Lord, when we are lost, when we are struggling, when we are physically or mentally exhausted, let us find ourselves, let us find our strength in you. In, out, left, Right.
If you find yourself drifting mentally, try to bring yourself back to your breath by changing something again, maybe a deeper breath this time. Let it center you back in. from the book of Philippians in today's lectionary reading. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal, toward the end of the race, for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Will you please join me in saying the Lord's Prayer? The words will be on the screen behind me. Our Father, who art in heaven, well, thank you, Jolene. Um, it's so interesting that Jolene started her meditation with that particular illustration about the race. Because um, in a complete serendipity, <laughs> my sermon starts with an illustration about a road race as well, a long road race. Um, and so actually, I think I'm going to ask uh, our podcast technician, Ken, if you would keep the, the meditative prayer in before the sermon this week, and um, that would be great. So I realized a, a few weeks ago on the 17th of September that it was the 10-year anniversary of the day that Tracy and I, my, my wife Tracy and I, ran the Rochester Marathon together. Um, it was uh, September 17th, 2007. We were both 30 years old at the time. We're both uh, 35 now. And, um, uh, you know, I, as they say, I ran two marathons that day. My first one and my last one. Because <laughs> I'm not doing that again. Uh, that was not necessarily a pleasant experience. Now, if you know anything about marathons, you know there's this kind of um, target time for marathoners, first-time marathoners, right? Uh, does anybody know what it is? If you can run your first marathon in four hours or under, that's the one, right? Then you've, you've kind of like done the thing that you should shoot for your first time to run a marathon. Um, can anybody guess what our time was? We, we crossed the finish line together. Five and a half hours after we started the race. Um, just like an absolutely awful finish time. <laughs> um, but here's the thing. Check this out. Show of hands, how many people in the room have run a complete marathon before? Yep. There's uh, four of us, and we get to hold that over all of the rest of you because we did it and you didn't. That's the cool thing about it. It doesn't really matter how fast you do it. You can say, I did it. So, well, enough bragging for one day, uh, but I did want to tell you that story. Um, we are today coming to the end of a section of our year together um, where we've been looking at the Scripture passages from the Revised Common Lectionary. 
during the, what the church calendar calls ordinary time. And we have this beautiful graphic that uh, Anna Voss uh, collaborated on with uh, Brian D'Angelo. And uh, you'll see those throughout the year because we're going to be using the lectionary all year long. Um, you know, meaning like the whole school year at least. Like uh, that's kind of how things ramp up for us at the end of the summer, beginning of fall. And we dove into the lectionary and just decided this is what we're doing all year because we want our year to be predictable and to have a certain rhythm to it. We're talking about the anchoring rhythms of faith. And uh, we're trying to do a better job of just giving you the one event to, to go check out this week, you know. Um, sometimes that's a little harder than at other times. Uh, but we want, we want to be involved in, in the, the activities of spiritual formation, and that happens kind of on a rhythm. It happens best on a rhythm anyway. You could, I suppose, do it without any kind of um, structure, but it's better when you have some. So we've been using the lectionary, and I've been really amazed and actually quite blessed to see how these particular Bible passages have actually spoken to the uh, contemporary needs at Artisan and in our world. It's really been a beautiful thing to see how these texts, which were assigned in this order, I don't even know when they first published this particular arrangement of the lectionary, but it's a long time ago, right? And it's just been beautiful to see the blessing of God, how... um, you know, the scriptures speak to us in a contemporary time, uh, and the Spirit has something for us in the text, um, kind of regardless of what's going on at a specific time, and it's been a beautiful thing. But we are going to press pause on the lectionary after today, because next week we're starting something uh, new and big and important and wonderful and awesome and daunting and a little scary, and uh, we're starting a new series called Growing in Faith Together. And this is uh, the kickoff of our capital fundraising campaign here at Artisan, uh, which is uh, something that it is time for us to do. Um, if you've been around Artisan for a long time or even for a short time, you know that although we have plenty of room to stretch out in the sanctuary, the other side of the building does not have any kind of room like that. And our uh, children's ministry spaces are not only too few, but they are much too small. And our restrooms are not only a disaster, um, like uh, fixture-wise, because uh, they're 30 years old, but they're also not accessible or inclusive in the way that we'd like them to be. Uh, and you know that our entry doors, you can open them uh, from the inside, you can't from the outside, and they don't have any, um, they're not accessible, they don't open with motors. So we have lots of things to do in our space to make our whole community feel welcome and to receive the blessing of God in this place. And so, starting next week, we're going to be talking about um, where we have been, what we have seen God doing in our midst, and what we need to do next. And uh, it is a big challenge. I'm not going to lie to you. I'm also not going to lie to you and tell you that I am not nervous about this, because this kind of thing does make me nervous. It's a giant project that we have to do, and what's more, it's like a, it's going to be more talking about money than I'm usually comfortable doing, which is like almost none. <laughs> right? Um, It's just the way it is. So the truth is that if you feel a little bit unsettled about that idea, join the club. I am the president. (laughs) Um, So here's what I want to ask of you. If you care about artisan, especially if you're a member of our church, if you've committed to being part of this community, but but if you care about what happens here and what comes next here, I'm going to ask you to make an extra effort to get yourselves in this place Five out of the next five weeks. Give me a five-week series. I know that sometimes your schedule doesn't allow for that, but let's be honest. Sometimes, like, I'm a little sleepy, the bills are coming on, or whatever, 
whatever it might be that week. You're just saying, well, I'll be there next week, right? I used to joke about how the uh, Artisan is, a, is an every other week church, and the leadership team kind of told me to stop saying that. <laughs> so I'm not going like, to be mean about it in any sense, right? I'm not going to be bossy. You know I'm not that type of, of pastor, but I am going to ask you uh, on a personal level, will you try to be here um, next, the next five weeks? Because the truth is, it's not just a big project. It's not just a big construction thing. It's not just a big price tag. But it's also a big concept. There's a lot to it. And I don't want you to miss out on part of it and only hear part of the story. Um, and then when the thing comes to an end and we're actually all of us talking about what kind of commitments we're going to be able to make to this, that you haven't had the whole story. So uh, please let me ask you to come um, next week and, and the subsequent weeks maybe a little bit more frequently than you, than you might if you're kind of a, not, a, not an every week or already. Um, and if you are visiting with us here for the first time, let me just say this. We've done this once before, and I had several people tell me, I started coming to Artisan during the capital campaign, and I almost walked out when you started talking about it. But the way the whole community rallied around this really inspired me, and that's one of the reasons I stayed at Artisan. I am not making that up. Somebody actually said that to me. So I hope that will be true again, and I hope that if you're a first-time visitor, you will not be scared off by what I just said. All right. Now... I am confident in Artisan's ability to do this, not only because I've seen you demonstrate financial generosity time and time and time again over the years, but because I've seen you uh, demonstrate and extend relational and invitational generosity time and time and time again here in this place. Um, And I know that we are going to, to make this happen, and I'm excited for it. I really am truly excited for it, in addition to being that, that kind of nervous, like I said, so... All right, so again, hopefully it's not the first time you've heard about that, and uh, it's not too shocking or surprising, but let's all, let's all take one of those breaths that Jolene recommended, because we are going to move on now to the texts for the day, um, and uh, the topic that I want to talk about, which is the fruits of the kingdom. <clears throat> and we will start with a parable that Jesus told, one of his teaching lessons from Matthew 21. This is actually a, um, an extension of where we were last week. If you were here last week or if you happened to read the lectionary passages because you know that's what we were talking about, you know that the Pharisees came and tried to test Jesus like they so often did and that he responded like he so often did by sort of testing them. And then they were all like, oh, never mind, right? Um, and he asked them uh, to weigh in on whether the, the prophet, uh, whether, whether John the Baptist was truly a prophet sent by God or whether he was, you know, pulling his ideas out of his, you know, humanity. Um, and they, were, they knew they couldn't answer that question because either answer would get them in trouble with different groups of people. So they just said, we don't know. And Jesus said, I know. Um, and so then he, he told them this, this parable about how a man had two sons and he asked his sons to do something. And one of the sons said he would do it and didn't do it. And the other son said he wouldn't do it and then he did do it. And really, it's a lesson about repentance, isn't it? I didn't really talk about repentance. I went a little bit of a different direction last week. But the idea of repentance is simply you have one idea in mind and then you change your mind and you do something different. That's really a key step to kind of joining the, the way of Jesus is actual true repentance. I, was, I had my mind set on something else and it's been changed and transformed and now I'm focused on this other thing, on the way of Jesus, right? Um, and he, he told them, you know, the worst kind of sinners are going into the kingdom ahead of you, right? And for them, uh, you know, the worst kind of sinners in that day were, 
were uh, tax collectors and prostitutes. For us, we might have a different group of people. In fact, I talked last week about how for us, it's really pharisaical, judgmental people who are the worst kind of sinners for us. And remember, there's an irony in saying that because, uh, think about it for a second, you are judging people for being too judgmental. (laughs) And how many times we get caught in that trap? So what happens here in today's text, starting in verse 33, is that he's going to tell a second parable, as if it was not clear enough the first time, it's going to be really clear this next time, and he's going to really say to them, you think you are in, but you have another thing coming. And so let me ask all of you, before we read the text, do you think that you are in? We may have different definitions of what it means to be in but let's just use yours, whatever it might be. Do you think that you are in? And if you do, why do you think that you are? Maybe it's because you think, well, I'm a good person. I'm in. Maybe you, um, maybe you have all like the, the religious merit badges and you say to yourself, I'm in because I prayed the right type of prayer when I was a little tyke or when I was a teenager, or when I was a college student or a young adult, or sometime in, the, sometime in my life, I prayed the right prayer, and that is what means I am in. Maybe you're one of those hippy-dippy types, you think everybody's in, and so you're like, what's the coin of the question, man? We're, we're in. I'm in, you're in, we're in, right? Uh, so regardless of where you stand, do you think you're in and why? And now let's look at Matthew 21, starting in verse 33. Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves, and the same Greek word can mean servants. Let's go with servants. He sent his servants to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized his servants and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent more servants, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, they will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, he will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They're real quick. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him, the crowds regarded him as a prophet. I want us to um, park our cars, or for you eco-friendly people, want us to lock our bikes right at verse 43 in in this chapter, where he says to the Pharisees, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. To understand how, how out of bounds, how just out of left field that would have sounded to them, because in their minds, they were doing everything right. They were producing the fruits of the kingdom. 
as they understood it in their day. They were doing all the things that their community had defined as the right things to do. The reason that they thought they were in was because they had every single indicator that they were. From the way they acted, to the way they talked, to their position in the temple, all kinds of reasons for them to think they were in. If anybody was in, it was them, would have been their mindset. So for them to hear Jesus say the words, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you, And given to people who produce the fruit of the kingdom would have been, um, let's say, very alarming to them. Let those words sink in again. The kingdom of God will be taken away from you, those of you who think you're in. And I want to go right to the epistle reading for today. Uh, This is going to be from Philippians 3. Uh, Now, as I mentioned last week, because this also is a continuation of last week's text, Uh, This is a letter that was written by the Apostle Paul to the church that he had founded in Philippi. So, brief history of the the Apostle Paul. Paul was originally called Saul, and uh, he was a devout Jew. And when Christianity started to to spring up out of the the Jewish uh, faith at that time, he was the chief persecutor of the early Christians. He was the one trying to root them out. Uh, In fact, you can read the account in the book of Acts of the stoning of the first Christian martyr. And uh, somebody has to hold the the coats of the people throwing the rocks, and that is Saul of Tarsus, holding their coats. He's there from the beginning of the persecution. He takes it up as his own quest. And there's this very dramatic occasion where he's walking, he's on the road to Damascus, and he's blinded by the light, right? And uh, Jesus speaks to him out of, his, out of this light saying, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And then he, he converts to Christianity, if you can believe such a thing. The, the chief persecutor becomes the chief advocate. And so he goes all around the known world planting churches, starting new churches. And he would finish one, get one started, and he'd go on to the next place. And then he would send thoughts and greetings and instructions back via letters, right? Um, and those letters became a good portion of the, the Christian scriptures, the New Testament. And he had to send these letters back because no sooner had he left than the, uh, the so-called false teachers would creep in behind him and they would start uh, um, distorting the gospel that he had taught the people, usually in one of two ways, either by saying um, everybody has to follow the full Jewish law, even the Gentiles, or by saying nobody has to follow any law at all, uh, the grace of Christ covers all, so you know, have a good time. Right? Those were the two kind of ways that it got distorted, and he would send these letters back to people, right? All right. So Paul is an absolute superstar of the Christian faith. He's, he's the, the, the one who makes it happen, basically, uh, in the early days. And as we'll see when we read this passage, he was an absolute superstar of the Jewish faith before that. So this is Philippians 3. We're going to start halfway through uh, verse 4 and read through 14. If anyone else has a reason to be confident in the flesh, in the body, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day, a member of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, which was the last tribe to to give in uh, when the conquest happened, a Hebrew born of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Yet whatever gains I had, these I have come to regard as loss because of Christ. More than that, I regard everything as loss because of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I regard them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but one that comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God based on faith. I want to know Christ and the power of His resurrection and the sharing of His sufferings by becoming like Him in His death, if somehow I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained this or have already reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me His own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. All right, so we want to we're going to move our cars over from uh, the the verse we camped on or parked next to in Matthew. We're going to we're going to park our cars, chain up our bikes again, right here on verse ten of this chapter in uh, Philippians. The Apostle Paul, the the founder of the faith, and, you know Jesus is the founder of the faith, but you know what I mean. The one who really was responsible for spreading it, who had had uh, started these churches every city all around the Mediterranean basin. He says the following words: "I want to know Christ." Can you imagine that person saying those words to this group in a letter? I want to know Christ. Everything that they knew about Christ, they knew because he had told them. They had learned all of their knowledge of Jesus from this man who just said, I want to know Christ. And then in verse 12 says, not that I have already obtained this. He's pointing out the fact that he, is not, he, isn't, he hasn't gotten it all sorted out. Like it's not all finished for him. Not that I've obtained it or reached the goal, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. And isn't that a beautiful sentiment? You see, I think that we Christians can feel the same type of sense of false security in our salvation that the Pharisees felt in theirs. We like to think that because we understand the one thing that they didn't understand, which is that righteousness does not come from following the law, but from faith, we, we want to think that because we understand that one thing that they didn't get, that the fact that we prayed some little I believe prayer when we were eight, or whatever your version of that might be, that means that we're, that we're in forever, that there's, no, there's nothing to do. you just all done. Paul seems to be suggesting, Paul, the apostle, seems to be suggesting that not even he had it all figured out. Not that I've already obtained this. Not that I've already reached the goal, he says to them. But I press on and I keep working. You know, when, uh, when Tracy and I ran that marathon, there was an important step that we had to take before the race began. And, and the, the three or four other people in the room who've run a marathon know this. That, that you have to register for the race. So you get there in the morning of the race and you're all bleary-eyed because you have to get there very early if you're going to run for five and a half hours um, <laughs> or even for four or three. Uh, and you go up to this table and you give them your name and they look you up in their little book, make sure you're on the list. And then they give you a, a number on a, on a you know, a little rectangle-shaped thing that they call a bib, which is kind of a silly word, but they, put, they give you a number on a bib and you pin it to your shirt and they give you this nice t-shirt that says, in my case, Rochester Marathon 2007. Still have the shirt. It's a little tight <laughs> around the middle, but I have the shirt. And then 
you have a choice. You can either pin that number to your shirt, get your body over to that start line, and get ready for several hours of misery, or you could put on your race t-shirt and and go home, (laughs) and nobody would know the difference except you and God. So, um, if anybody ever says to you, I ran a marathon, don't ask to see the shirt. You got to ask to see the medal. Because they give you a medal when you're done. And if you think that makes up for the pain you felt, you are wrong. <laughs> but it is pretty cool. You get a medal. There's two of them in here, one for each of us. And here's a picture of me. Uh, I look quite a bit thinner and I have more hair. And there's Tracy. She looks identical. Uh, and there's Abel, who's about this tall. Right? Now he plays bass in the band with me. It's so cool. So if you want to see my medal for the proof, I will show you this afterwards. I think that very often in the Christian life, we forget that we are running a marathon. We forget that Christianity is a marathon, and we appropriate its ideas, and we turn it into a race registration. See what I'm saying? We just check in, make sure our name's in the book. We get our T-shirt our registration number, so we look official. And then we're like, where's the pizza tent? Because <laughs> they have this big tent after the race with pizza and beer and stuff. Like, you can recarb yourself or whatever it is. Right? And we just want to register, make sure that we are in, and then go enjoy ourselves. Whether that's in the sweet by and by or whatever you, whatever you want to say. And you can convince a lot of people that you're a marathoner that way. But it's a fraud. And here's the thing. If, if you think you've already arrived, that probably means that you haven't even started yet. How's that for bad news? If you think you've already arrived, that's a very good indication that you haven't even started the work that you need to do because the Apostle Paul himself said, haven't obtained the goal, haven't finished the race, I'm pressing on. So think back to a few minutes ago when I asked you, do you think you're in? And if your answer is yes, then why do you think you're in? Is it because you you visited some spiritual registration table? Got your name on a list? Or is it because you are feeling the pain of running the race every single day? So you know you must be on the course. Because if you're not feeling the pain, you're not running the race. Now, the last thing I would want to convey to you is that you have to be some Olympic quality spiritual marathoner to make it into the kingdom. That's not the message. And I certainly don't want you to think that you have to do this alone. Let me tell you, uh, toward the end of that race, I think we were probably in the last two miles, maybe in the last mile, 
something popped in Tracy's knee. And she couldn't put any weight on it anymore. She literally could not stand on that leg. I I promise I'm not making this up. This is going to sound like I'm just telling a story. Uh, This exactly happened as I'm telling you. She couldn't stand on it. And she's like, go finish the race. And I'm like, no, a good soldier never leaves a man behind, right? And I'm like, I'm going to be the chivalry, right? So I, 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 she put her arm around my shoulder and like literally was like kind of doing this for the next five, six, seven minutes until she could start to put a little bit more weight on it. And gradually she could walk on it. And then gradually she could run slowly on it. And we stayed together and we, we finished that race. And she's like, I never would have finished this without you. And I said, I never would have gotten to the start line without you. <laughs> I had tried to train for a marathon two years earlier. And you know why I didn't get there? Because it's a lot of work. Like, you have to run a lot before you even get to the race. And, uh, you know, my idea of a fun Saturday morning is not, you know, three and a half hours of excruciating boredom in the heat, which, let's be honest, that's what it is to run 18 miles when you're not actually in the race. There's no adrenaline. It's just like, ugh. And it was Tracy who said, no, we're doing this together. Let's go. Otherwise, I swear I would not have gotten to the start line. And so the beauty of that is that uh, I helped her finish, but she helped me start. There was another man there who was like at least twice our age who was kind of like, he was doing his five and a half hour pace and he had an excuse, (laughs) right? But he was right there with us and he encouraged us. He stopped for a second when Tracy hurt her knee. Um, The point is, you can't do it alone. You've got to have support and that's what the Christian community is and what it offers to us. And you don't have to finish under four hours or whatever the spiritual analogy, you know, would be. You don't have to do it fast. There's one goal in a marathon, and that's to finish the race. I, I tell you, man, that is the only thing that matters, especially for your first marathon. Just finish. And in our faith, we're not measured by how fast we go, how impressive we look, whether we meet all the requirements that people think we should, you know, we could, we could beat this metaphor into the ground, you know, the right shoes, the right workout clothes, whatever it is. You can look like a complete mess who does not belong on the course. And if you put one foot in front of the other, right, left, right, left, you press on toward the goal. The only goal is to finish the race. So, for those of you who are on the course, who are feeling the pain of life, and by the way, how ironic is it that we Christians who purport to follow Jesus think that the thing is going to be painless, right? He, he went to his humiliating death before the resurrection happened. You remember that part? If you want to follow in his footsteps, the, the language used by the man himself is take up your cross and follow me. So if you are on the course and feeling the pain of it, know that it's normal. Know that you are not alone. Know that the goal is to finish and know this, that you can forget what lies behind and you can strain forward to what lies ahead. And we are here together to press on toward the goal. So press on. Press on. Let's pray. Blessed Jesus, whose words 
challenge us as often as they encourage us. Help us to trust not in ourselves, not in our own strength, but in you and in yours. Help us to be able to forget what lies behind, to focus and strain forward to what lies ahead, knowing as we must that the path includes pain and suffering. Help us to take solace in the fact that you felt the pain and you suffered and that that led to resurrection. Give us faith and strength to believe that resurrection waits for us as well on the other side of the pain and suffering as we press on toward the goal that you've set for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen. So, at the risk of um, abusing this analogy, one little bit more. (laughs) You know, uh, when you're running the the marathon course, they have all the stations with water and stuff, and they have Gatorade. You know, you can get, get your carbohydrates and electrolytes and all that stuff. And um, they also have this really disgusting goo stuff that you, that's like, that's supposedly really good. Like everything about a marathon is the, the worse it is, the better you're doing, I think. Um, but you've got to have sustenance on the way. If you're going to run 26.2 miles, you need to refuel along the way. And, you know, um, I love to talk about the sacrament of communion as food for your souls because the, the pain of the course drains you spiritually and Jesus offers his body for you as sustenance. This is the sacrament of sustenance. And so we take communion every time we're together because, Lord, are we hungry by the time we get here spiritually. And so our table's open to all who are seeking to follow Jesus on this course. You don't have to be a member of our church or of any church. You seek to follow Jesus, this table is for you. So come and receive the body, the, the, the bread broken. And the cup, the wine and the juice, the blood shed for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, Your children can take communion with you or you can get them right afterwards. Please go and get them pretty quickly though um, because I think I went a little long one of these days I do that. There will be a member of the prayer team at the back of the room who will be happy to pray with you in person. But if you need strength for the race, Jesus offers himself to you now. So our table's open. Come and receive his grace, his mercy, and his strength. Amen. For more information, visit us at artisanchurch.com.